Alright everybody, welcome to the 15th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Portland, and I got my man... Sage, extremely ecstatic to be home after that long Christmas break, and we have a special guest. Well, good evening, gentlemen. How are you? The extremely dapper Larry. Yes, thank you once again for joining us on the podcast, uh... Real quick, how was everyone's holidays? I know I had a great couple days down in Albany, even picked up a pair of the Lillard 2s, um, got a few vintage Blazer t-shirts, so I was definitely in the Rip City spirit, but Sage, uh, I think you had a little bit different experience, right? I love my family, but six (laughs) days was a little long. I love my mom, she was great the entire time. Everyone else, we had a little issues, and... You know, I'm glad that I thought ahead and brought things, like, I I brought booze just to make sure if I blew up, I could just drown myself in sorrows to get through the night. And, you know, you think about an NBA team, they're with each other for, what, nine months out of the year, maybe maybe shorter, depending on playoffs, but they're with each other almost nonstop. It's almost amazing that more teams don't blow up, because, like, whether you love them, or just like them, if you're with a bunch of people for that amount of time, sooner or later, stuff's about to hit the fan. And uh, I'm just glad you're back with us, you know, in one piece. Uh, Larry, how was your holiday? It was pretty relaxing. Uh, I had traveled for a couple weeks right before that. So just coming home, being in my own recliner in front of my own Christmas tree, quiet with the dog and, you know, friends, family, that was, that was just perfectly fine. I think this is the first podcast ever where Dustin's not the best-dressed person. I, I'd agree. Although I am rocking some awesome Snoopy pajamas my mom got me. Maybe the highlight of my Christmas. I was very surprised to get those. <laughs> nice! He might be one of the whitest people I know, because when I first met him, he called jammies jammy jams. So no, I call them jammies too. PJs, pajamas. <laughs> I've just got a wide array of descriptions to describe pajama bottoms. That's all. Jammy jams. Yep. Sage, did you just go Big Mama? Uh-uh. <laughs> that I, I am just quoting the man and his verbiage. Wow. Can't deny it. When I first met him, he brought it up, and I was like, this dude is really cool for how white he is. And look who you hang out with now. Oh, man. Between family trials, vodka, and the euphoria of a couple blazer victories, I'm I'm wondering about you. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I'm good. I, I'm good. I'm happy to be home. My house was a little chilly, but I warmed it up, and I, I'm extremely ex- extremely excited to be doing this podcast, talking hoops. Because honestly, I wanted to talk basketball the day after we published the podcast. You know, that's how it usually is, and Larry talked about euphoria. You go to the message boards right now, and they're already planning a parade down Broadway for this Blazers team after two wins. I mean, I guess that's what winning will do after losing five straight, um, including that last game in New Orleans where Portland just got whacked from beginning to finish without Lillard. But then they come back, and they surprise everyone and just kill the Cavaliers, even without Lillard, and back it up again with a 98-94 victory on the road. 
without Ed Davis and Damian Lillard against the Kings. So, you know, this team, they are just 13-20, and 20, but in the wild, wild west, they're only a game and a half out of eighth and a game and a half out of 14th. So it's really tough to really get any sense of what this team is or the Western Conference is as of December 28th, 2015. Hey, for that parade when it happens. I mean, I said some stuff that I might regret last podcast about betting your entire retirement on uh, the Blazers winning a championship. But hey, Rip City, let me DJ the parade. Uh, you don't need OG1 to do it. You, you, need, you need the guy who used to do Portland State games. Who got the crowd more hyped? And you did have a few Blazer Hoopers in that in that audience. Yeah, we got we got a special podcast coming out for New Year's. <laughs> I got two Christmas up, or the pot, the the bonus the bonus edition would have been out. Is that the Demontis Sabonis edition? <laughs> the uh, way the Blazers are playing right now, it might have to be, or the Denzel Valentine. Edition. Portland went from fifth in the lottery to, to ninth just with, with two wins. So on one hand, you're very excited that this team is winning with young talent, especially C.J. McCollum, who you know goes for 35 on 50% shooting, 11 boards, which was a career high. He had nine assists, four steals, a block, only two turnovers in that game against the Kings. Really showed he is more than just a super six man. So on one hand, you're super excited about these wins, but then you realize the ceiling might not be as high as you'd like, and you're taking yourself out of draft position. Larry, take us through your emotions when you watch a Blazer game at this state of, of the season. Are you rooting for wins? Are you happy? Are you sad? Like, What's going through your mind? Oh, you, you as a Blazer fan, you never root against the Blazers. I, I, I want them to win. In fact, the, the Cleveland game, that's a great opportunity to play over your head. You know, a young team is very inconsistent. They were coming off a back-to-back. They hadn't played well. That's an opportunity to get a win and then lose the next night and still keep your place in the lottery because it's a back-to-back. You're on the road in a place you don't play well. Damien's out. Ed Davis is out. They could have easily lost that game. No one would have given them any issues. Not only were they fifth, they were a half a game out of fourth, the number four spot. So to go from that to number nine, it shows you one how crammed it is from the number eight spot all the way down to everyone but the Lakers. And number two, how much worse the West is this year than they have been in, what, the last seven or eight years in a row? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, Utah is at eight, at 12 and 16. Last year, 12 and 16, you wouldn't have been, even this early in the season, you wouldn't have been sniffing the playoffs. So combine the West with, you know, being a little weaker, the Blazers winning a game here and there. I mean, it doesn't take much. They had a a little stretch a couple weeks ago. They won three out of five. It it shot them right back up. They lost five in a row. They're right back down. You win two in a row. You're a game and a half out of the eighth spot. I want to see them develop. I'm not worried about Dame and CJ. I, I think we know. Even even before CJ did what he did this year, you you kind of had a feeling that he could do that. He was a four year senior. He'd been set back by injuries. That's not a surprise. I wasn't too surprised with him finally stepping up last year in the playoffs, getting better. Now we see that. What I want to see, what the only thing that's going to get this Blazer team to actually be better, is the rest of the roster developing. Dame CJ, they're fine. In fact. 
for me, they're almost too much of a duplicate for them both to play together at the same time because they're both ball-dominant scoring point guards. Mm-hmm. I don't know that long-term that fits for a team to be a contender. Like them both, great players. I'm not sure how that works going forward. No matter what happens, you've got to see development out of Myers, Vonley, Aminu, Crab, maybe Harkless. Some of those guys see where you're at and then move, make some moves this summer. And hopefully you do, you do get a good draft pick. Yeah, going back to the McCollum Lillard, you know, if they duplicate each other or not, I think maybe last year, earlier this year, you probably, I think, have a stronger case for that. But I believe both players can play off the ball. And lately, we've been seeing CJ distribute the ball with a lot more efficiency. He's keeping his turnovers down. He's starting to get a connection with Plumlee on the pick and roll. We've seen a couple lobs like that. And he had nine dimes last game. I think what's going to maybe either hinder or enhance that, that basketball relationship is if Portland can get another back-to-the-basket threat to open the floor up. Because if they can get another option on offense for the defense to worry about, that's gonna, they, can, they both can go one-on-one with ease. But if they can get somebody down low that can help them out, take the pressure off of them, I think that is a big three that could work, especially if CJ continues his improved defense and they can get play from Crab, so it allows them to do a nice little three-guard rotation. But you definitely do want to keep seeing the, these assist numbers rise from both CJ and Lillard. Is there any back-to-the-basket option that you have your eye on right now? Right now, I that's mean... That's attainable? I don't know if that's attainable. I I was one of the few who thought the Enos Cantor offer was not the worst thing in the world because he was so efficient when he got to play, and he was a great back-of-the-basket scorer. We all knew his defense was nothing, but to be honest, Mason Plumlee's defense isn't that great either. I thought Cantor would have developed into a nice scorer. I think he's probably a, a better starter than coming off the bench. He needs a lot of playing time, but you know he was the third pick in the draft for a reason. I still think he has a ton of potential. OKC is kind of in a similar situation up front where they just have too many bigs and not enough minutes just like the Blazers. Um, so I was, I was excited we made the offer. I'm also excited the Thunder match because now they're, they're, they've got their hands tied. Uh, I'll just really trust Neil Olshay. I mean, you look at his draft history, he really knows how to hone in on a guy. I trust him. He's, he, you know, he'll, he'll make the right move in free agency. He, he normally doesn't steer us wrong. So is I, he no longer a dummy in the board's eyes? Because I remember seeing a week ago that he was the biggest dummy that the Blazers have ever had. Is that is that narrative changed? You know, there there will always be some people that don't like the moves that the front office is making. I trust his drafting more than I trust maybe his free agent moves. Because <clears throat> you look at, I mean, if, if let's say we got Cantor and there are some things I do like about him, but that is a lot to pay someone who's really a one-side-of-the-court player. He offered... Uh, Steve Hawes, thank goodness that didn't go through. He's playing uh, better in uh, Charlotte. I think when you go to L.A. as a like a role player, you turn really bad. And then once you leave, people see, oh, he actually has value. So I don't think it would have been as bad as 
what you're saying, but it, 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 it been was a- just a mid-level yeah. acceptance offer too. He wasn't offering the moon for Spencer Hawes. No, right. If Spencer Hawes, he was his dad. No, it, it, that wasn't an out of the moon. But it just in terms of guys that he's offered contracts to, if you look at what they're doing, regardless of what they're getting paid, it it's not very good. You want it. You want. Moneyball. You want guys producing for more than they're getting paid, which is why Golden State's so good. I mean, Draymond Green. Now he's gonna get paid, but he. I mean, he's way overproducing for what he's getting paid. Curry actually is too. He's not that highly yeah, paid. Yeah, eleven mil. He's like the foot fourth highest paid player on his own team. Yeah, exactly. Iggy and Bogut. So that's that's where you've got to, you know, get get value. I mean, there's so much money going to be spent this next summer everyone has cap space so it's who do you get that you sign for less money that's going to overproduce for that even if it's a shorter contract mm. back to the back to the basket part wow so that's it's it's tough to say man it's tough the, to say. um there are none anymore i mean there are no back to the basket players anymore and there's none coming up in the draft really i, I suppose jacob Potel might be one but they're really they're just there aren't anymore. So much of the game is to perimeter, big guys shooting threes, handling the ball, which is it's fine. It creates an imbalance. Sometimes someone's going to come along, a team's going to come along and go, "Hey, we're not that good. We're going to go old school, get a bunch of big bodies, and bang the hell out of everybody," and it'll start to shift back. I mean, yeah, that's the nature of the beast. It happens in college football. It used to be ground and pound, spread offense, and now you get a team like Alabama who might win it all with a pro style. Golden State did it the non-traditional way. They won by shooting threes. But back to Olshay, and not to sound like a Neil Olshay apologist, but I think when you're in Portland, you already have one hand tied behind your back when you're trying to go after free agents. So you can't go after the Jimmy Butlers or Kawhi Leonard or... A guy like that who you know is either going to stay with their current team or they're not even going to look at Portland. So he has to maybe take a risk on a guy like Roy Hibbert or Spencer Hawes. You know, looking back, thankfully those bullets were dodged. But it's not, I don't think, as cut and dry as all of us looking and saying, hey, why did he offer that guy this much money? It's just because the, the market he's in, um, I don't think Portland will ever be a top-tier free agent destination despite rising living costs um, and being named the number one food city in America. Um, I would love it to be, but that's not the case. But he does find some gems, and I think one was Mo Harkless, and he has been one of the beneficiaries of guys being out. He's getting extended minutes. I think he's the better stretch four than Al Farouk Amino, and when we go small with him, he's making some things happen. What I loved was Stotts normally doesn't double-team or send a double, but in that Kings game against DeMarcus Cousins, he had... The, the entire team made life a living nightmare for Cousins down low, just swarming him. And Harkless was really, you know, the ringleader with his help side defense causing the steals. And then he's, you know, very aggressive taking the ball to the rim, like finishing with those vicious slam dunks. You know, unfortunately, his, his uh, three's not falling like it was early in the year, but it's on target. I think this is the type of player who's going to need more minutes down the stretch. Well, I like Harkless, too. He, he can do a lot of things, and he's – stretch four is going to be – I mean, he's just not that big, and he's not quite as long as Aminu, but there's some things he does better than Aminu. Um, I, I, but that's the type of player 
someone you get on the cheap that, that can contribute. I mean, the Blazers had one. I mean, he's, he's up for discussion of sixth man of the year in Denver. I mean, Will Barton. Now, he's doing that on a losing team where there's no real pressure. I mean, he gets to shoot as much as he wants. But my goodness, I mean, some of the n- nights he's having, oh yeah, that's the type of player that you've got to find somewhere, you know, get them to contribute for a year or two until they they want bigger money, and then you got to go out and find another one again. And Dustin, you're right about the free agency. I mean, his hands are a little bit tied. That's why you know you got to do things through trades. And what I was hoping this year would be the draft. I mean, if you can get a top five pick. That, that really helps this franchise, you end up with something, you know, 8, 9 to 14. Uh, it, it won't hurt, but you're not going to get that impact player most likely. And I know there's always exceptions. People can point out where one person was drafted, but there's a reason that that's the exception to the rule. The likelihood is the farther down you go, mm. you know, that that's not where LeBron James and and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I mean, Westbrook, those are all top four guys. You know, Blake Griffin. I mean, all those guys are top three, top four guys. And that's where the majority of your all-NBA guys mm-hmm. are from. I, I know Curry was number six, but there's not a lot of number sixes up there. I've, it's easier to get draft an Austin Rivers type of talent than a Draymond Green type of talent or a Monte Ellis in the late part of the draft or a Wesley Matthews. Well, going back to, to Larry's point about finding another Will Barton, do you think Alan Crabb could be our Will Barton? I mean, a lot of people talk about you know how that, that was a bad trade. We gave up a possible first and Will Barton for a Flalo who's no longer with us. The thrill has really you know taken off in Denver. But my argument to that is I don't know if there would be any playing time for him in Portland with CJ and Crabb. I mean, we saw Crabb just – he was the – he was the guy in that Cavs game. He mm-hmm. got us off of that start. He had 21 first half points. That was already a career high. You know, he finished with 26, shot four of six from three, and even got to the line six times. So that's showing me he's aggressive and can score off the bounce. Can he be that, you know, that player that you're looking for, Larry? Um, he can be part of that player. His game isn't well enough rounded yet to be that player. I mean, he is really a 3-and-D guy, kind of kind of like a, a Wes Matthews. He'll get a rebound here and there. He does not handle the ball well. He does not pass the ball well. So where Barton wasn't near the shooter, but Barton could do so many different things. This isn't – I mean, he had some deficiencies too, for sure. Um, but that's where, where you mentioned Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless is more of a guy – he can hit a three, he can play some defense, he can dribble, he can pass, he can block a shot – that's somebody that you can have on both ends of the court where Crab right now, who's d- shooting, I mean, great. I mean, he's doing – but he's still – I mean, he's, what, 35% from three? I mean, he's shooting less from three than, than Aminu, and no one would think that if you just asked them. But he's behind Aminu in three-point percentage. So it's not like he's that lights out. He's just shooting with more confidence, and he's getting more attempts. Mm-hmm. And I like what he's doing, but he's still – you want to see him getting to where he can handle the ball a little better, make some better decisions with it passing-wise, and you know, he, then he could be a very good player. And how long is he on the team? What, I know he's a second-round pick. How he's, long, a, he's a restricted free agent this yeah. year. Yep. So, yeah. so, so that's kind of a, you know, a tough place for mm-hmm. Portland to be because you know 
teams teams know that they're restricted, so they know they can throw a bigger offer than they would if he's unrestricted because there's a likely chance the home team is going to match. I'm not too worried about Alan Crabb. I think he's going to continue to develop, and shooting, especially in today's NBA, is at a premium, and he shows a lot of great defensive potential. The player I'm worried about as a restricted free agent is Myers Leonard. I know he's come along. Uh, he had 16 points. His three-point shot is back. He was 4 of 7 against the Kings. He even had 11 rebounds. It was his first double-digit rebounding game this entire season, uh, his first double-double of the season. I know he's breaking out, but as Sage and I discussed on the previous podcast, he still seems slow. And outside of shooting, what else can he bring to the table that's going to warrant the contract that he is going to you know, foreseeably get? Well, there was rumors, and I forget where I saw this, but that he had turned down a four-year, $60 million deal. Joel Myers broke that. Was that Joel Myers? Yeah. I'll tell you what. If somebody's offering Myers Leonard for now I get that there's a ton of money out there to be spent, and maybe that's just what players are going to make. And Myers certainly, certainly shows signs of, you know, but but look, even last night he had a, he had a very good game. Where was he playing? He was playing the five. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely right. Dustin's show, holding up that hand for for those on radio. <laughs> he yes. was playing the center position, and that's where his best game seemed to come when he in the playoffs against Gasol. He's playing the five. He is not a stretch four, and I know that they're trying to make him that because they. They have Davis and Plumley who can't play more than five feet from the basket. So you're kind of stuck with Myers out there, but that is not his spot. So either you put him at the five and really see what you've got and then match an offer and keep him, or he keeps playing the four. I don't think you ever really find out what he's got. I think some other team's going to offer him a bunch of money, and I don't know that he's here long term. Have you guys been watching him on offense? When he sets a pick and either slips it, or flares outside, it's really nice. But when he picks and rolls, he is using his off arm like a club to get room. And that's going to draw a lot of offensive fouls. Because, like, I, I made an effort to look at it. Because he, he got into, like, a few skirmishes, and I wanted to re- see why. And it was just like he was using his off arm like a club, attacking whoever was behind him. So... He needs to quit that stuff or he's going to get in foul trouble and the value will decrease even more on Myers Leonard. That was just a thing I've been noticing the last few games. Well, you're noticing it, but very few other people are because the Blazers pick and roll so infrequently. Oh, people will roll, but they don't give them the ball. You you watch a pick and roll, and this drives me nuts as a a fan and someone who used to play. If they do pick and roll... And if it's actually a roll and they give the ball to the to Plumley Myers or whatever, they're giving them the ball circle out towards the foul line instead of taking a step towards that defender, occupying the big man, forcing him to at least respect the guy going to the basket, and then lobbing the ball towards the rim to the guy, the big man, so he can just catch it and shoot it or dunk it and not have to put it on the floor. You do not see Chris Paul giving DeAndre Jordan the roll at the at the free throw line or the top of this you know the bottom of the circle. I think I said top earlier, bottom of the circle. None of the big men. Hassan Whiteside is living from the bottom of the circle down. 
No one ever gives him the ball bottom the circle up, and the Blazers do it to their big man over and over and over. They'll come around that pick. The big man will roll. Typically, they won't give it to him, but if they do, they give it to him right away versus driving the ball towards the basket, occupying the big man defender, and then lobbing the ball to to their own big guy so he does not have to put the ball on the floor. I have no idea why they do that, but they do that more than almost any other team in the league that I've watched. Yeah, definitely, and I agree I agree wholeheartedly with that. Do you think it's like a, the guard IQ or a scheme, or what do you think it is that they do all that? I think that's part, just part of their culture. They are so perimeter-oriented with, with everybody because they have no one that has a game inside really 10 feet that... I, I just think it's their mentality. But yeah, they do not put the bigs in a position to do anything positive with the ball on pick and rolls. But it was it was just something that was disturbing me when I was just seeing Myers blatantly foul the wing that he screens like every time on a pick and roll. You know, I don't mind that though. I like that he's kind of getting into skirmishes with the opposing team and getting in their head. You know, he drew two technicals on the Cavs, and he seems to be, you know, at the, the heart of every scuffle, you know, as a, as a fan of basketball in the early 90s, I love that type of, of play. You always hate that player unless he's on your team. We have that player. I would just like to see him be, be more assertive. You know, CJ McCollum had the quote of the year after the, the, the Kings game. He said, I still want to punch him in the face when he second guesses those shots. Mm-hmm. All of Rip City does too. He is too good of a shooter to pass up a shot to take an even worse shot off the dribble. He is not a good shooter off the dribble. He is a great shooter off the catch. Just let it fly. I think he can he can still improve in his decision making. So that is, you know, Meyer so thankful he he is out of his slump, but the Trailblazers are still without Lillard for the foreseeable future. He said he was going to play against the Cavaliers. The Blazers are doing the smart thing and holding him out. Uh, how long do you think he's going to be out for, Larry? Well, at first he was saying, you know, hey, I could play if I needed to, and then it was a couple of games. I think he wanted to play for Cleveland. I'm guessing that old Shea has sat him down and said, listen, I love your intensity. I love your drive. I love that you want to win. But the reality is we're probably not, you know, we're, we're certainly not a contender this year. The West is worse, so maybe we have a shot at a playoff spot. But just get it 100% healthy, mm-hmm. 100%. And I think so now I think you've seen him change his tone in terms of interviews and everything. And now he's like, all right, it'll be when it's completely done. And it can take some time. When you get plantar fasciitis, that can stick with you for a while. And if you don't get it 100% better, it can stick with you for a long time. So I think they're doing the smart thing, keeping him out. You know, let CJ do his thing. Let some other players get some time. Really see what you've got. Um, you know, having Davis out, great. Maybe that means Myers a little more at the five, and you get to see that. That's great. Maybe you would someone actually run a play for Noah Vonley. I mean, that would be nice too. I, I know they do in the first couple minutes of the game. They, they'll try and war on one, and then he won't see one for the rest of the game. It's just offensive putback. Develop that kid. I know it's going to be growing pains, but stick him on the block, run some cross screens, you know, run some pick and pop with him and tell him to shoot the ball because he has no confidence. He's just getting it and looking for a guard right now. And even when he has open shots, he's really thinking about it before he takes it. So he's not in rhythm. 
you're almost going to have to do with him what you did with Myers. It's force feed him, get him to shoot the ball until you can find out what he's got. You're not going to win a lot of those games where he's shooting eight, ten shots, but find out what he's got. Do that with with each one of these players, I think, and and that's what you use the season for. And if you win, and you find you know if you find yourself in a playoff hunt, if if the number eight seed is that bad, and you find yourself in a playoff hunt with you know a month, month and a half to go, you know go for it at that point. I mean you know let it ride. I mean yes, you're going to be cannon fodder unless you're at least the sixth seed and probably the fifth. Yeah. You know, you'd have to get clear up to the fifth to where you'd play the Clippers at number four. Because one, two, and three, you're not winning more than one game in any of those series. You're just not going to. So it's still, I guess it would be, you know, fun to make the playoffs if, if they're hanging around towards the till the end. But I, just, I don't know long term that, that's fun for fans, but I want this team to be better long term, mm-hmm. not just hanging around from the six to eight spot. Yeah. So to touch on a couple things, one to go back to Lillard, uh, I, I can definitely see the change in him as well. He's on the bench. He's coaching his players. Uh, he did that a little bit during the first game, but he's he's more vocal. He's more you know almost animated in a positive way. Like he's really embracing this role. He is a true leader. And two, I completely agree about Von Ley. It just baffles me when you read the message boards and you see people want to give up on this guy, call that trade a bust, you know, say he's a bust, when these are the same folks who thought McCollum was a bust or they wanted to cut Alan Crabb during his his rookie year when he wasn't performing. You know, CJ was a four-year player. He was supposed to be polished. It took him some time. It's going to take a guy who was really raw and probably needed more time at Indiana to develop to develop into the NBA, and he's not going to do that unless we run some sort of offensive sets mm. for him, and he gets to play more than just seven minutes at a time. Do you guys remember Kevin Durant's rookie year? He took a lot of bad shots, got it out of his system, learned the NBA game. We have to do something similar to that with our young players. And Vonley, and this is essentially his rookie year, Yep. But he was so young for being a rookie. I mean, he was he was one of the youngest rookies to ever play, and he went to school for one year. He was as young as some of the high school kids that came in back when you could still do that. Very, very young going into his freshman year at Indiana. Very, very young coming into his first year in Portland. So, you know, it, it's going to take a little bit of time with him. But he's got some skills. You see him do some things every game that you're like, oh, all right, we should probably invest a little more in that. Yeah, definitely some flashes. So let's play a little game before we we preview the the next slate of of games for the Trailblazers. I'll throw out a topic. I want your percentage on the likelihood of it to happen. The, The big one. The eighth seed. Will the Trailblazers make the playoffs in the Western Conference? Sage, go ahead. I'm going to say a solid 15%. Okay. Because eventually the teams will realize that we got to play better ball to get to the playoffs. So there's teams that are slumping like the... Eventually, hopefully, they get better and the the Blazers can just sneak into that draft seed. <sighs> this goes against all that I want and hold dear. I'm at least 40%. Wow. I think they could make and, and not it, last year, no shot. But this year, and we all thought New Orleans was going to be better, but they just 
they're still not. They and, they and they may get they may get better, but you look at who is in front of Portland right now. So I mean, Portland won two in a row. It took them from they passed up. They're basically tied with New Orleans, half a game behind them. So they win two games. They passed Minnesota. They passed Phoenix, who just fired all their assistants. They passed Denver. They're basically they're a half game behind Sacramento, and they're a game and a half behind Utah. None of those teams are putting fear into the hearts of anyone. So you look at Portland's talent. They have some talent. It's just young. It's very inconsistent. If they start winning a few games, if some of these guys start to get, you know, a little more confidence, Myers, you know, Vonley has a game where he shows up once in a while. Harkless gets, you know, a little better. Crab look, looks like he's more dependable. There's none of those teams, and including Utah at eight, and probably, honestly, Houston at seven, that, that Portland couldn't catch, and they're not that good. Yeah. The West has declined so much this year, 40%. Yeah, and I would even throw Memphis into that team, into that category of teams you could catch. Uh, I'll go 45. I really think it's that high, and it's, you know, what Larry said, that the Suns, they are a mess. Markeith Morris is throwing towels at their coach. They let go of two of their assistant coaches. Eric Bledsoe just tore his meniscus and is out past the All-Star break. Probably for the season, if I would have to guess, because you're not going to bring him back when you're that far out of the playoff race. You've got a team like the Timberwolves, who that's not their MO. They're not trying to do anything this year. Denver has a ton of injuries. They have a ton of different lineups they're showcasing. I honestly think Portland has a better roster. So It's going to come down to four teams for that one spot. I think it's Utah, Sacramento, Portland, and New Orleans. New Orleans can't seem to get their stuff together. Sacramento is... Just Sacramento. Time Sacramento bomb. is Sacramento. That's who they are. He, he went in there on the second night of a back-to-back without Davis and Lillard and, and beat them. Um, and then you've got the Jazz who are also dinged up. No Exum, no Burks for six weeks. Their defensive center uh, is out maybe until February. So they have got a lot of issues. The Jazz even tonight have been following along this score. At home, it took them a last-minute bucket to beat the 76ers without Jalil Okafor. So they beat them 95-91. I hate the Sixers' lineups. Again, I don't think playoffs is best long-term, but like Larry said, the West is just down. We've said it's drunk. It's a whole lot of things. It's not real good. It's top-heavy. And the Blazers have the best player out of any of those teams, Damian Lillard. C.J. McCollum is quickly rising up that list. They've got a young rising center in Mason Plumley. Stotts is a good coach. They've got a good organization. And to be honest, they've got through the toughest part of their schedule. They've played more road games than I believe anybody, maybe besides the Lakers, and games total. So the, 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 now it's time for them to feast. Can they do it? That's, the, that's a whole other question. But it's set up for them to do so. Well, Dustin, you, you, so you raise a great point right there at the end. Out of all of those teams, and you can go from probably Utah on down, I don't think you can count Houston, but Utah on down, Sacramento, Portland, Denver, Phoenix, Minnesota, the Blazers do have the best player. Well, if you get to New Orleans, yeah, I think Anthony, Anthony Davis. I'm taking Dame this year. Sorry, Sage. But, I might, but that's just because I'm so disappointed. But, but out of most of those teams, Portland does have – the best player in Dame, but what Portland also has is a very good number two, and you take those two players 
Tell me two other teams in that Utah, Sacramento. Sacramento's got a couple of good players, but they're they're mental idiots, so I take them out. Denver doesn't have two players better than them. Phoenix doesn't. Minnesota doesn't now. They may in a couple of years. Towns and Wiggins. New Orleans does They, bunch they of have one. Four. They have one, but they don't have a second. Utah doesn't. You have to go clear to Houston, and Houston maybe just has one because Dwight Howard is a shell of him for himself. So, I mean, do you get clear to Memphis where you've got someone maybe that's got two players better than Portland's two players, and even there you're like, well, who is it with Gasol? So that is a good point. If, if they is a weird thing. If a young team can get it, they can play over their skis where they really don't know what the hell they're doing and they can just go out and blitz teams. And Portland's going to probably sneak up on a few teams still for a little bit because, believe me, Cleveland was overlooking the Blazers. (laughs) I'm not taking anything away from the Blazers, but Cleveland did not come into that game. They came in, you know, second of a back-to-back, but they weren't pumped up for that like they were for Golden State. Well, and they overlooked Portland on December 8th as well. It took a second-half surge defensively from them to come back 18. Portland had them down 18. So that definitely was a game that Portland wanted. They took from Cleveland. Cleveland is obviously sleepwalking through the season. But if teams are going to continue to take Portland lightly, I mean, I don't know if you really want the Warriors, but it would make a great story if you somehow could upset them. And I guess that's really, I guess that's why they play the games. And you can't tell this team, hey, stop playing hard. Stop trying to win. That's just, that's not what the NBA is about. I've kind of accepted the fact that either we're going to get a draft pick this year or we're not. Just you have to enjoy the development. Yeah, the, the, the problem with running into Golden State is Portland's a completely perimeter team, which is just like Golden State, just Golden State's way better at it. I mean, there's just, there's nothing, there, there's nothing where like sometimes Memphis would run up against someone and they were just defensive and they were big and they would bang you and you had a chance of an upset because they did something that no one else did i mean teams didn't want to play them in the playoffs because it was just completely different than anything else you did portland they don't have that i mean they just got nothing in the middle they have no low post threat the only points they're going to score in the in the paint is off of penetration from their guards from the outside Golden State, I think, is the worst matchup for them. San Antonio is not much better. OKC, all three of those teams, you have, you'd have to get to number five for them to have even a prayer of making it a series, I think. And I think we'll know a lot more about a potential Portland-Golden State matchup uh, over the course of the season. They haven't even played each other this year. Uh, Portland did blow them out. It was preseason. But Golden State does come to Rip City on Friday, January 8th. If Portland keeps it close or pulls off that upset, then you might raise the percentage of them winning the series from one to two. <laughs> nice. Double double your percentage. That's he, outstanding. He is like the most optimistic person I've ever met. Well, and listen, I want to be I, – I would be going nuts if they had – you know, if I legitimately thought they had even a, man, 25% chance of an upset. I'd be all in and and just, you know, cheering and going nuts. I just, my fear is we get down to the end of the season, they have a 10 to 14 draft pick, or the West is bad enough, they squeak into the playoffs, they get smoked, and then we're sitting there going, crap. Denver has our pick. 
Denver has our pick, and we just basically did nothing. I mean, we made the playoffs, but what did it mean? Now we don't get a pick, and we have cap space along with 28 other teams. Uh, it was a fun three months. The Nigel Hayes era will begin in Rip City. That's what will happen. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is if we are to make the playoffs, it will take a decent push. And if CJ can play like he did against Sacramento and Dame is Dame, then your roster is a lot better than you thought it was this time last year. And maybe it is a more attractive destination and you can get more pieces. Because if we're looking at the West long term, really only the Warriors are set up for success. The Spurs, we don't know how much Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker have left. The Thunder could be a completely different team with Durant as a free agent this year. Westbrook the following year. The Clippers just can never get right. They have all of the talent, but I don't think they're ever going to put it together. Mavericks and Grizzlies both on the decline. Houston is like Sacramento uh, South. They beardier. Yeah, beardier. They have one better player. Harden is better than Cousins, but Dwight Howard's an enigma. Rajon Rondo's an enigma. They've already fired their coach. There's not much else they can do. Utah and Minnesota future look decent. Um but really, it's not like it's this big, daunting Western Conference that we all envisioned. So I guess making the playoffs wouldn't be as bad as I thought preseason. Well, and here's why, and, and going along with what your point was, that you're exactly right, but that's why I wanted a good draft pick this year. Because you pick up a Simmons or an Ingram or, you know, who, go down the list. Bender, Brown, all of those guys. You pick one of those guys up and add it to this roster – with a West that is in decline, you set yourself up for some success for a lot of years because for exactly the reasons you just cited. San Antonio is getting old. Oklahoma City, probably some roster changes due to their cap stuff. The Clippers, who knows? Dallas, Dirk Nowitzki's about done. Memphis, they're struggling. Houston's blowing up. Portland could, if just, I mean... <sighs> You, I don't want to root for losses, but if you could get through about three months of losses, get that really good player and add it to this team, they could be very good for a long time. And if you're very good in a declining West, now all of a sudden you're like whatever team LeBron James is playing on in the East for all those years. Everyone else sucked. It was a free train ride to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, that's, that's, I completely agree. I want a draft pick as well. But the fact of the matter is I think we were going to have to get lucky in the lottery regardless because we're just not as crappy as the Lakers, Nets, or Sixers. So you're looking at a four at best. That's the best possible scenario going into that lottery. Um, Obviously, luck can happen. We were, what, seventh when we won the Odin draft, and we have came close in other drafts. That's why I love the lottery. It doesn't just reward the teams that try to lose the most. So maybe we do end up eighth or ninth and get lucky. Well, I'm taking any prop bet that I can find that the Lakers get the number one pick or Boston with, with Brooklyn. Mm. I would put money on both of those that Ben Simmons ends up in one of those two places. I don't know. I mean, Cleveland won the lottery two years in a row, and Cleveland's not exactly NBA paradise. No, but I, no, you're right. But I, I would be willing to put money on that. Cleveland won it be, Cleveland got to keep their hometown player, so that one year. So that was kind of an, all right. You do, There's just, and I don't know, I, I love reading conspiracy theories. I don't believe in them. Well, the Ewing one I do. that I've seen that video enough times to where that looked 
pretty rigged. But almost every year that the lottery, something comes out, it's like why this team got the number one pick. Yeah, with New Orleans, when they got um, uh, Davis, wasn't it uh, they just, the owner had just bought the team? Yep. And he we, had just bought it. And, and we, it's like, okay, you buy this team, we'll get you the, I mean, who knows? It's just fun stuff that people t- post. But typically, you do not see the Milwaukee Bucks of the world all the years they were bad winning, getting the number one pick. They did, though, in 05. Yeah, one one time. They've been bad and for a long time. And they could have Chris Paul had they drafted correctly. <laughs> you know what? I, I want to give props to you for knowing that the Bucks got the first pick in 05. I only know that because we screwed up and we did move up to third and we decided, hey, let's not take Darren Williams or Chris Paul. Let's go for this shooting guard that we really need who had a good workout and let's take Marta Webster. Well, the nope, third Listen, when it comes to the draft, the Blazers need to let D69 do it every year and they would just be so much better off than where they are. The, t- the 2003 Dylan Sage would thank the Blazers for making that pick. I was not introduced to the Blazers for quite some time, and I enjoyed Chris Paul immensely, except for one year. <laughs> but since we're all talking possible playoffs, Portland does have four games on the horizon this week. They go to Denver, or excuse me, they host the Nuggets on the 30th. The following night, they're in Utah for New Year's Eve. Just a quick two-game road trip. They're back again at Denver against Nuggets, and they come back home Monday to face the Memphis Grizzlies. Those are four winnable games. Let's talk about the Nuggets first. Last meeting, there's only been one meeting so far this year, the Nuggets won a close game, 108-104, in Denver back on November 9th. But as usual, the Blazers were on the second night of a back-to-back in Denver. That doesn't happen this time around, thankfully. We have two days of rest before this first game, and I believe the Nuggets are on the back-to-back um, when we play them. So that roles are kind of reversed. It's such a tough game to look back and see if you can take anything from because the Nuggets lineup is just cl- completely different. Uh, now they're starting Costas Papa Nicolau at small forward, uh, Joffrey Laverne at center, Jameer Nelson, Jameer Nelson at point, and Gary Harris at shooting guard. Really, only Kenneth Reed is the, the, you know, the remaining staple. Um, and guys like Hickson, who had 19 and 13 in that first game, Moutier had a great 18-6-5 game. Those guys are not playing. Uh, Denver's lost 5-6. of six. It seems like Portland's ripe to beat the Nuggets both times. What are your thoughts on these games? So, it wasn't a white Euro center that played against us in November? No, it was J.J. Hickson. He they, started at center. They got, they got the monopoly on Euro centers. Uh King Joffrey has a lot of skill for a big man. He's more finesse than you'd imagine. He can hit the open three. He's got a few nice moves in the post. He's He's got some talent. I know Emmanuel Moutier is out because of an ankle sprain, so it gives yeah. Jameer Nelson some time. Moutier's out, and so is uh, Nurkic. Yeah. Chandler Nurkic. And, and Gallo is questionable. Yeah, with a sprained ankle. Um I think that Nelson usually, if Nelson has a bad game, Randy Foy is going to have a fantastic game where he shoots some outrageous number from three. But I think that they're a very mediocre team. 
and the Blazers could definitely get the W. Yeah, you know, speaking of Foy, he's actually my X-Factor. I, when I see his name, I always think of three-point shooter against the Blazers. Sure enough, I looked him up. Over the course of his career, he has 45, 47 threes against Portland, second most only to 49 against your Pelicans. So he definitely has an agenda against our teams for whatever reason. Um, this has been a series dominated by the home team. All-time in Portland, the Blazers are 63-20. Uh, and 20. All-time in Denver, the Nuggets lead that series 55-27. and 27. So one would say that the smart bet is probably just a split 1-1. I like the Blazers to take both. Uh, what say you, Larry? Four games coming up. You know, it's tough. It's tough to get wins back. You know, against a team that when you're playing them that close together. So the smart money is probably on a split. So then, do you get the first Denver game and the Jazz, and then lose at Denver, and then you have that tough Denver coming home play the next night against Memphis, who has always given them struggles, even though they've they've played them better this year. That looks like a two and two week to me. If they could somehow get a third, you know, either get the get this both Nuggets games or win that Memphis game on at home and go three and one. You know, they go three and one. They're probably going to be about the eighth seed because teams just aren't winning that many games. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Jazz, Portland goes to Utah. They had already beaten the Jazz one time in Utah, destroyed them actually back on November 4th, 108-92. to That was the game where Lillard, who had 35, McCollum had 27. They combined to score 62 points, outscored uh, Nato and Hood, the Jazz uh, backcourt, 62-16. to so And they, Rudy Gobert was healthy. Rudy Gobert was healthy. They held Favors to six points. Favors was questionable tonight versus Philadelphia. He does not play. But Portland held him to six points in that first matchup. You know, you have Alec Burks, who just uh, was listed as out for six weeks with his ankle. Gobert's still out. Uh, this team used to be dominant at home. The, you know, the Delta Center, they have the Delta Force. Just impossible to win in there. Eight and seven this year at home, and that's including that squeaker they just won against the 76ers. Uh, Jeff Withy starts at center. Former uh, Blazer. Former Blazer, who I thought would be good, who was just... I thought he was going to be great. Uh, you know, Gobert is the key. The Blazers usually do a good job even with Gobert's in there, but since losing Gobert, the Jazz are just 5-8. and eight. They've allowed their opponent to score 100-plus uh, nine times, and they're allowing 103 points in that span. You go back to those first 16 games of the season, they're allow- they allowed just 94. So he's definitely a huge difference maker on the defensive end. Uh, you know, I like Portland again. Um, Trey Burke is going to be tough because he loves playing Portland. He scores more points against the Trailblazers than any team. He averages almost 17 a night against the Blazers. Uh, so he's one of those random Blazer killers. But without Gobert, the Jazz are slumping. I think Portland goes in there and, and takes another one um, in Salt Lake City. I think the Jazz really depended on those three big players, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and uh, Gobert. So now that one's out, they're putting way too much pressure on Favors and Gordon Hayward, and the rest of their team isn't as good good enough to cover for Gobert, especially with Jeff Withy playing center. I mean, anyone with a decent post player can abuse the center position. So I think that it's going to be a pretty easy win for the Blazers. 
you you would think that they could get these first two. Then it comes down to okay, can they manage to pick up one of those final final two games and have a three in one week? Uh, if they can do that, you know, maybe maybe they start to turn this around and and, and make a run because they do have a lot of home games coming up. Um, some tough ones. I mean, they, Memphis, the Clippers, Golden State, the Thunder. That's all home games, but those are all tough teams. Those are all mm. teams that are that are playoff teams right now. So yes, you have a lot of home teams, but there's no gimmies in there until you get to the Jazz at the very end of that stand. Then the gimmies come on the road trip. You got the Nets and the Sixers. So you know maybe they can get a few wins here, and and you see what you've got. I'm more interested in player development right now than wins. And if we pick up some wins, great. Um, you would think they would get at least these first two here this week. Mm. You know, and as we mentioned, they wrap up the week uh, a week from tonight. In Portland against the Grizzlies, the teams have already played twice this year. Portland demolished them on TNT on November 5th. It was a 115-96 romp. Uh, the, the two teams played uh, just eight days later in Memphis. Alfred had that rainbow three to put Portland on top, but then Zach Randolph caught that rebound to put it in with pretty much as time expired to give the Grizzlies that, that 101-100 victory. You know, it has been a rough year with Portland for close games. But this Grizzlies team just does not scare me at all. It's mm. a completely night and day from last year. You know, you look at the record, just 17 and 16, um, 7 and 10 on the road. They have 11 losses by double digits. So they're getting, when they lose, they get throttled, just as they did in Portland. Um, I've noticed, we talked about this for the earlier matchup, but they go small now. Matt Barnes will be back from his suspension. Uh, they start he and Jeff Green at, at the forwards, bring in Zach Randolph. So if they want to go small, I think that plays to Portland's advantage if they want to play Myers at the five to draw Marc Gasol out, just like they did in the playoffs and just like they did uh, November 5th. Memphis is a team who is, they've just really declined. They, they allow 100 points per game. Just last year, they allowed 95, which was second best in the league. So they're really a step slower. Their window is closed. I looked up and down that roster for an X factor for any reason. I chose Courtney Lee just because of his success against us in the playoffs last year. But at home, if the Blazers have won their three, like I thought, I think they're gonna. I think this is going to be a game that is another blowout. I think they're going to blow the Grizzlies out. Um, Memphis is old. We're young. I think we're going to feed off this momentum. We're a roller coaster team. We can lose seven straight. I think we have the ability to win seven straight. It's just that type of year for the Trailblazers. Well, let's hope if it comes down to a really close game against Memphis that uh, Coach Stotts doesn't go super small in the last play when they have Gasol and Zach Randolph in the line in the lineup, and then you wonder why you couldn't get defensive rebound. I mean, that's just kind of what happened. A to few the, of them. It happened to the Spurs in the the twenty fourteen finals mm-hmm. or twenty thirteen finals, excuse me, when Duncan was on the bench. LeBron gets that rebound, kicks it out to Ray Allen. So, yeah, you definitely have to have your bigs on the floor against Memphis. And if they can continue to dominate the glass like they have, um, really make the soul work in that pick and roll. And there's no Bano. He is not on this team anymore. So, you know, we don't have to worry about the backup point guard, you know, killing us. You know, Chalmers has the ability to have a good game, but he is no Bano when it comes to Blazer killers. So are you doing a three or four win week? I got I got four zero. This schedule without Lillard, they've won two straight. Like I said, this team rides the emotion. They, I wouldn't be surprised if they win these four and then they lose three straight. That's just the type of team this is. But I've got them going four zero. None of these teams that they play this week scare me one bit. What about you, Larry? 
Could they go four and zero? Yes, because that's just you know, like Dustin was talking about, a young team they could get on a roll. I just young teams are inconsistent, and so someone there, somewhere in there. I mean, we're talking about a team that just went zero and five on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want if I, if I'm betting, I say two and two. I, I can see them going three and one. I'm gonna say three and one as well. I think they dropped the Nuggets game at Denver's at home. All of you people that love tanking, we all predicted a positive week, and we almost always predict those weeks wrong. <laughs> I predicted, well, predicted 0 and 3 last week, and we went 2 and 1, so it, it's tough to get these ones right. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone saw the Cavs game coming. No, I mean, no one. That's just. It happened. It's a fluke. That's the worst loss that the Cavs will probably have all season. But you know what? You know, look at these next few games. Couple more weeks. See how they start to play out, and then you're going to start getting into. It's going to be trade time. We got six weeks, about six, seven weeks to go. I don't think this roster is the same roster as that will it will be after the trade deadline. In fact, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, I thought you were going to drop a potential trade right there. Now, there have been some hints. All right. So let's go back to our percentage game. What's the percentage you think the Trailblazers will make a trade? I think it's quite high. But I want to. I'm probably I'm 75 percent, maybe even more. Yeah. I was thinking eighty. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's maybe even as high as eighty, eighty-five, just because you've got guys like Cayman and Henderson who are on expiring deals, who you want to get just anything from a team like Chicago or Dallas or the Thunder might want some you know, help to go for the postseason. They're all in win-now mode. Um, I think O'Shea would even take second-round picks to replenish the stock that he's already, you know. Yep. Well, and, and none of that is going out on a limb. That's why, that's why I'm like, you know, it, it's, it makes sense. It just seems like it's a likely thing. You have ending contracts. You've got veterans who aren't playing that much. It, it only makes sense. I've been told that that making sense is probably pretty likely as well. So that's no big shocking thing at all. It's just who goes and then who's the who's the the person that gets moved to maybe package a deal to get something maybe a little more back that we didn't expect. Yeah, I think the trade wouldn't wow me. I think if a guy like Myers Leonard gets moved, that's a wow move. Oh, I think definitely. It, I think you're looking at if, of, if players of the caliber of McCollum, Plumley, pretty much CJ, or actually CJ, so Davis, Aminu, if a guy like that goes, I'll be pretty wowed. I, I think play, Portland likes those, but again, if a great trade comes along, you might have to reevaluate. So what do you think the percentage chances that one of those players gets traded? I don't think, I, it would take, in my opinion, an offer to knock Neil Socks off to trade McCollum. He is in love with that kid. He drafted him. He said from day one in that press conference in the summer that he is going to start, get a ton of minutes. It would take a massive offer, in my opinion, for Neil to, to move him. Um, same with Plumley, just because of the contract that he's on. Again, it would take a great offer. I wouldn't be surprised if Myers goes. That's just my hunch, just because he's a restricted free agent. And you may not be comfortable giving him the type of money that he is going to command in the open market. What do you think, Larry? I, I think those are all valid points. I think you, you're looking at contracts, you know, who you can keep under contract for a, a lower price for a while as this team gets better. Myers is not locked up, and so if you can get something for him, 
I get his potential. I get that that Olshay drafted him, but he didn't sign on. So you know, Olshay's got to got to play with that. Hey, you know, do we? Does some team come along and offer that's got just a ton of cap space, which there are a lot of teams? Mm-hmm. Does someone say, "Hey, here's a young guy, a mobile guy that can shoot threes. We're going to offer him fifteen, sixteen million dollars a year." If you're not going to pay Wesley Matthews, and I get he's coming off an injury, but a much more proven, accomplished player that you figure is probably going to get back to at least 80 85% of what he what he did. It's just whether you wanted to pay him the money. Do you want to pay that much money or more to Myers, who hasn't showed nearly as much, is much more inconsistent, and is really a one-dimensional player? So I I don't know. I, I like guys under contract that... that you have for a while that you've got some control over that aren't big dollar guys. And I think if the right piece came along, you might move Myers. Yeah. And it, I, we mentioned this on a podcast a while ago, but Mark Spears tweeted out from Yahoo sports that a lot of GMs actually told him they were relieved. The Blazers and Leonard didn't come to an agreement because they were excited that he was going to be a restricted free agent. and They could throw a lot of money at him. So, you know, like you mentioned, if Wesley Matthews coming off of a torn Achilles can get command max money, why not Myers? I'm not saying he's going to get the max, but he's going to get a lot of dough offered to him, especially with the salary cap rising. So, Well, that's the thing. There's a lot more. Wesley got what he's got. There's a lot more money available this next year. Someone's going to overpay for Myers, and that's just – I can easily see that happening. So – if you've got something that you can get back, Myers would bring back more than just about any other piece that you would be willing to move. Um, you know, maybe you do that. Does, does I, who knows what that is? But you know, I like Olshay with trades and in the draft more than I like him with in free agency. And on top of the fact that it, now it's Portland and it's just tough to get a star to come play here. They're not so, lining up to come to Portland as much as we love this town. That's just so, the reality of it. So if you're Olshay and you're, let's say, an offer for Myers is on the table from two teams, one's with maybe a 24-year-old player who's shown promise, maybe a little bit more than Myers, or you're looking at a first-round draft pick, top five protected, what, what do you think is best for the franchise? <sighs> I, mean, I know it's hard to say without yeah, knowing that yeah, player. But yeah, I want to. I want to see a little more of this uh, college season before I, you know, top five protected because top three protected. I'd say take the pick. Top five protected. You know, I don't know. Are are there guys down there at six or seven? Because if you're trading for a guy that's basically like Myers or maybe a little better, why are they trading that player to you if he's better than what they're getting back? And so it's probably a contract situation. And does that really help you? You're you're looking to make this team better down the road, two or three years from now. Um, somebody you know, somebody that can come in, you can add that can grow with the team and not have a lot of pressure because you've got Damon CJ. If it's that young guy and, and he fits, great. Top five, I don't know. I'd probably take the player. Top three, I'd probably take the draft pick. I'm exactly where he is. I'd probably take the pick just because I think picks are. That's an unknown asset, but I feel like picks have more value. That could be this player. And so if you're looking to move up or package that pick in the draft for a player that you like, that's just why I would take the pick, just because it seems like it holds more imaginary weight. Yeah. 
Well, that's true. And if you knew, and, and, and these, these GMs are on the phone all the time, if you knew that, hey, we're going to be number 10, but we've got another draft pick that we're probably going to get that's top three protected that's going to be around number six, all right, now we got six and 10. Well, the last time we had that, we got a couple of decent players, or six and 11, whatever, but you had the chance to get Drummond. You know, so, you know, whether you got Drummond or you, know, you took Lillard, that's fine. But you had a chance to get either one of those guys. It was very good. And you got Myers who, eh, do you take two guys like that and go, well, number six will take this guy. He looks, you know, he's Bender, who up until this last year, Dragon Bender going into his season this year was higher rated than Kritzap Porzingis was rated last year coming into that year. So, you know, do you take a shot on somebody like that? And then maybe later on at 11, do you go, hey, Denzel Valentine, come on down? Somebody who could contribute right away that maybe doesn't have as high of a ceiling. And and you go with that. And there's no pressure on those guys. You know, it's like Draymond Green. Come on in. Stephen Curry's going to draw all the attention, and you're going to get a lot of open shots. Do your thing. (laughs) I love Coach Izzo coached players so valentine would be a great pick for me i love the master or the jack of all trades master of nuns uh we had a great one in brandon roy so i'm not saying he's going to be brandon roy but i think he is going to be whoever gets denzel valentine will be very lucky and like we've all said this all podcast long we trust all say judgment in the draft so if you give him two picks in the lottery chances are he's going to maybe not hit a home run but he'll hit a couple doubles what's up i I, I think I would take that too. The more we talk about this, I think I would take the the pick over the player. You know, you get your guy that you want. You bring him into this culture with with Dame and CJ, and and you know, draft draft one potential guy, draft one four year guy that can contribute right away. You know, by next year, I think you start to see some bit, some better things out of Von Lage. Really, still gonna still he won't be twenty one when the season starts next year. I mean, this is a young young kid. And then, then you you know add add a big guy or or maybe it is Plumley and you, and you get someone else and there's some talent here. It's just going to take a little while to get better. I would I would like to add a lottery pick to that versus a number eight playoff seed. That's just mm. as much as I want to win because I'm a competitor. But long term, I think you win more games doing that. All right, I you know I think we pretty much summed everything up that's happening in Rip City over the past week, and that could happen. Uh, once again, thank you for being on the, the show again, Larry. Uh, why don't you tell us where we can follow you on, on social? TBPup22 on Twitter, and that's about it. I don't have time for anything else. <laughs> well, you can find this podcast on Stitcher and on SoundCloud at HolyBackboardPDX. If you want to shoot us an email, hit us up at HolyBackboardPDX at gmail.com. And we are also active on Twitter during games, during regular work hours, whenever. You can find us at Holy Backboard. Uh, you know, thanks again for being on this show. Thanks to Sage for producing this show. Uh, I think that wraps it up for us. Good night, Rip City.